So there was this um, rich man who heard about a very rare South American bird. Uh, so rare that he had a vocabulary of about 3,000 words. Uh, this bird could speak four foreign languages and could sing three Italian operas. True story. And um, uh, he heard about this uh, rare South American bird. And he thought, Do you know what? I'm going to impress uh, my mother. And so he bought it for £50,000 as a gift for his mother and also to impress not only his mother, but to impress his other brothers and sisters as well. And so he had the bird delivered uh, to his mother and then waited a few days, then phoned them and said, Mother, um, what did you think of the gift I sent? How did you find the bird? And she says, Oh, it was great. It was delicious. And um, that's a problem with purpose. When you see something and you don't understand the purpose that it was meant for. I want you to take a look at this uh, gentleman. Anyone know who that is? I'm sure you all. Some of the younger people haven't got a clue. But older ladies went, ooh, like that there. Older ladies, that was terrible, Helen. No, I'm joking. Uh, So that's Elvis. That's Elvis, if you don't know who that was. Now, Elvis, when he died at the age of 42 of obesity and drug dependence, there were 34 known Elvis impersonators in the world at the time of his death. By the late 80s, that number had risen to over 30,000. Statisticians have calculated that if that trend continued, by 2035, one in five people on the planet would be an Elvis impersonator. People get paid to do these kind of jobs. And that means that if that trend had continued and did continue, not only would one in five, Elvis impersonators would be the biggest people group on the planet. Wouldn't that be amazing? Walking down the high street and seeing all these Elvis impersonators. But you know, when he died, so tragically, (laughs) there's all kinds of other things that emerged after and later on after at the whole persona around Elvis. In fact, in 1994, and I know I've just prayed for America, and I've got some great American friends, and some of you are here this morning, but this could only happen in America. Let me just whisper that. In 1994, in Denver, was the first church of the living Elvis. And I've been on their website, and there's a picture of Elvis with a glow around him. And underneath is this text, For unto you this day is born in the city of Memphis, a Presley, which is Elvis the king. That's fantastic, isn't it? You know, here's the thing: when Elvis died so tragically at 42, his wife wrote about his death and about his life, and she said this: Elvis never came to terms with who he was meant to be and what his purpose in life was. He thought he was here for a reason, maybe to preach, maybe to serve, maybe to save, maybe to care for people. That agonizing desire was always with him and he knew he wasn't fulfilling it. So he'd go on stage and he wouldn't have to think about it anymore. It's tragic, isn't it? Tragic for someone so talented. And there's a whole thing. If you read historians, uh, biographies on Elvis, and I've been to Graceland and been around the whole house, and there's all this kind of, there's this whole thing about was he a believer, wasn't he? He sang a lot of gospel music. We're not really sure. We leave that up to God. But there seemed to be something within him where he just wasn't really sure of why he was on the planet. I want to suggest to you that with all of the cars that he had, and many of them he gave away to people that nobody knew about at the time. With all the riches, I want to suggest to you that purpose is a price tag that's priceless. That if you have purpose in your life, what kind of value would you place on that? I want to suggest to you this morning, ladies and gentlemen, that it would be priceless, wouldn't it? Absolutely priceless. To know beyond a shadow of a doubt who you are and why you're on the planet is an incredible gift. And I want to suggest to you that God wants you to know that he has a purpose for your life. Amen? He has a purpose for your one and only life. 
And we can discover that. You see, when we don't have purpose, what happens is that we run around doing all kinds of crazy things, getting worn out and frazzled out. And inside of us, there's that growing, aching gap and that longing. We just don't know why we're doing what we're doing. But God says to you, God says to me, you can know purpose. And that purpose can be incredibly important in your life. You know, I think that finding God's purpose for our life is so important that we need to give it our utmost. And I want to suggest to you this morning that there's one sentence in the Bible, which from the message translation, which is a new translation of the Bible, puts it brilliantly. And it's going to come up on the screen. Ephesians 1 verse 11, it says this, it's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. Isn't that a great verse? Why don't, why don't we say it out loud together so you can hear yourself saying these words. Let's say it out loud together. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. If you want to meditate on a verse this week, pick this one. It's in Christ that we find out who we are, that's identity, and what we're living for. That's our destiny. Our identity is our being and our destiny. What we do is our doing. But in Christ we find out this is who I am. And it's in Christ that I find out what I'm doing on this planet. So in fact, you could summarize it even shorter. Purpose is Christ, isn't it? It's in Christ that I find out who I really am. And it's in Christ that I find out why I exist and why I'm on this planet. Now, I don't know who all of you are this morning. I know a lot of you, which is great. Some of you may be here this morning and you say, well, that's great. But you you wouldn't categorize yourself as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus. That's fine. You're really welcome. We're glad you're here. Many of you would. Now, if you do, my question to you is, so what? So you might say, well, I know that and I have this gift of purpose because I know that I'm in Christ and that's what I'm about. So what? What difference does it make in your life that you're clear on your purpose? I want to suggest there's at least three things for you to think about this morning. That if we're clear on purpose, that if this gift is operating in our life, That if we know that it's in Christ that we know who we are and what we're living for, three things should happen. Number one, it should affect how we see ourselves. Identity is so important. It should affect how we see ourselves. Paul says in the book of Romans chapter 12 and verse 3, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Paul says, think of yourself with sober judgment. Now that word sober um, doesn't mean just not drunk. It means of sound mind. It means how God views you. It means you should see yourself how God sees you. And I think there are two extremes that we get into. To be honest, some of us do at times, we think of ourselves too highly than we ought, which is why Paul has to write this verse. But for for many of us, a lot of the time, it's the other extreme. That we think of ourselves too lowly. And Paul says, no, if you've got clear purpose, if you know who you are and you know what you're doing on this planet, then you'll think of yourself the way that God sees you. That's why Freedom in Christ, one of the courses that we run here at the church, is so important because it helps to teach you what the Bible says, how God sees you. Not how culture sees you or your past or your background or your personality or your emotions, but how God sees you. Now, I think sometimes we do think of ourselves too highly at times. I think if we're really honest, for some of us sometimes, and I know myself, I definitely include myself here, we have a tendency to be selfish, to be self-seeking. We're okay with servanthood as long as no one treats us like a servant. We're okay with credit as long as we get it. 
So, so imagine this scenario, and just try and think about this scenario, and t- tell me what you think is happening. So I, after a, after a long day here, um, working, because I do work more than one day a week, contrary to popular opinion, um, and I go home at the end of a, a long, hard day, and I walk in through the door, and I get given, in my hand, a cup of tea. Uh, and then I get asked to, to sit down and just to take my, and I get my shoes taken off for me, obviously, and um, uh, get the remote control given to me uh, and say, you watch whatever you want to watch the rest of the evening and the dinner will be along in about 30 minutes and anything else that you want, just give me a little ring on this bell and I'll come. Uh, what, what's happening there? Well, I'll tell you what's happening. I've gone to the wrong house. <laughs> that's, that's what's happening. <laughs> Sorry. I, this, it feels bad because... I, I don't want to do this publicly, but my wife's late this morning because I've lo- I locked her in the house this morning and came out without the keys. So, oh, this is all going wrong. So, no, I'm only joking. What, what, that's not the case at all, okay? But what's happening there is that as I began to describe that scenario, there were some of you, not just guys, but all of us, that inside, there was a little flick of the, that would be all right, that would. Come on, who's honest there? Because there's something inside of us that, that it almost feels entitled and that's when we get into that thinking of ourselves too highly. We almost feel entitled. We deserve that. We should get that. But, but, but Paul says, don't think of yourself too highly. But listen, don't think of yourself too lowly neither. Because the reality is for many people, and certainly for many believers as well, we know we're Christians. We know we've received purpose. But we still, deep down, carry a sense that God, if he's just about tolerating us, and at the worst, that somehow we could be an accident or a mistake. And I want to declare to you this morning that it's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. And God loves you. Do you know that? God loves you. You know, there's a massive difference between um, being a son or a daughter and being an employee. <laughs> and I, I wonder whether some people, uh, Christians especially, I think, still believe that somehow God is like their boss. Whereas actually the Bible says that God is your dad. That God is a heavenly father who loves you. And that may be difficult for some of you if you've had a difficult experience with your father. I understand that. But, but this idea that we are, you know, uh, that God is our boss is not right. In fact, working for someone as a boss is very different than relating to them as a father. And uh, I, as I was preparing this, I thought back in my life that when I finished my A-levels, which is about 1943 or whatever it was when I finished them. Um, I, I went to work for my dad in his business for a couple of years. So I had that scenario there where not only was he my dad, uh, he's passed away a few years ago, he's in heaven now. Not only was he my dad, but he was also my boss. And then I was starting to think about what that was like, you know, being there and with the boss and with my dad. And then, of course, I thought the, 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 the illustration breaks down a little bit because two, two years later he sacked me. So um, I thought, hmm, not sure I'm going to be able to make a good point about that. Well, he didn't actually sacked me. He made me redundant, which is very different. Um, a whole load of us were made redundant. But do you know what? When he made me redundant, here's the thing. He was still my dad. He was still my dad. And the relationship between a boss and an employee is very different than between a dad and a son. And the Bible says that you are not, you are not God's employee. You are God's son. You are God's daughter. And do you know what? When Jesus was baptized, And we'll talk about that a little bit more later. When Jesus was baptized, as he came out the water, God the Father spoke out of heaven and he said some amazing words over his son. And I want you to know, the words he said, they were not directional, go here. They were not instructional, do this. They were all relational. Isn't that true? He says, this is my, of whom I 
and I am well pleased. This is my son whom I love. I'm pleased. This, he didn't say, this is my good employee who works really hard and delivers on time and is great at timekeeping. He didn't say that. He says, this is my son whom I love. I'm really pleased with him. None of the, the affirmations were directional or instructional. They were all relational. And when you're clear on purpose, folks, you can settle into that sense that God the Father loves me. That all that I do, do for him and with him, which I will do, comes out of my relationship to him. Isn't that brilliant? The second thing, and I want to talk into this a little bit more, is when we're clear on purpose, when we understand that we have that gift operating in our life, when we understand that, it should affect how we see our work. How many of you work? You see, some of you are not quite sure whether I actually work. I go somewhere. Do I actually work or not? You know... um, Jesus, before he did the preaching, wandering around, healing, rabbi thing, he, he worked. He was a carpenter. Uh, Paul, before he preached and planted churches and got put in prison and shipwrecked and wrote most of the New Testament, he also worked. He made tents. Have you ever thought, what kind of tables would Jesus have built? Would they have been flat packed with a few screws missing? I don't think so. That would have been great. T- I don't know. I don't know. It D- doesn't matter. But, but how would he have viewed his work? Well, interesting, the Bible tells us, because in Colossians 3, verse 22, the Bible teaches really clearly on how we should view our work. It says this, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you, in other words, not only when the boss is in the office to win their favour, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. Not for men, since you know that you receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Now the context for this is really important to understand. Paul uses the words slave and master. uh, And we need to understand what, what this really means. In the day that Paul was writing, most of the Roman world, if you were employed, you were a slave. So really, slavery is gone, thank the Lord, and that's all gone out the way. And, and the Bible is not condoning that. You have to understand the historical interpretation of it. But the context for us to understand what God is saying is the context of employment. And God says that if you are a believer and you have a job, it should affect the way you do your job. You should be a great employee or a great employer because you are in Christ. And it's in Christ that you find out who you are and what you're living for. And I want to say a few things about this. When you're clear on your purpose, it should affect how you do your job. And let me give you four things to think on. We should be committed to doing a good job. The best job we can, not just when the boss is in the office, but all of the time. Uh, Tyndale, William Tyndale was a, was a great uh, um, Christian leader many centuries ago. He wrote this, There is no work better than another to please God, to pour water, to wash dishes, to be a cobbler or an apostle. All is one to please God. And when we're clear on this, we're clear that actually it's not just what we do on a Sunday morning that pleases God. That's a tiny thing. It's what we do with our whole lives, isn't it? And if you're a teacher or you're a, 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 in finance or you're a, in the caring profession or you're um, whatever you are, whatever you do in work, we've got to do a good job. Because the Bible says it's not just the boss that we're serving or the company. Actually, there's a higher boss. We're serving Christ. If you read the scripture, it says, do it with reverence for the Lord, with all your heart as working for the Lord. You're receiving inheritance from the Lord. It's the Lord you're serving. 
He really pushes it home. We must be committed to doing a good job. Secondly, committed to having a good attitude. You know, I want to say to you, um, we often talk about things like peacemaking and uh, being an encouragement. And we talk about it in the context of church, which is important. But I think it's in the context of life, not just church. You know, in your office, you need to be the person that has a good attitude. You need to be the person who's a peacemaker. You need to be the person who's speaking well of each other. Because you are Christ's ambassador, aren't you? And that might come difficult, personality-wise. That's fine. That's why the Spirit of Jesus is in us, to help us. You know, I'm, I, I'm really so like, my, my wife is amazing. I think my wife is amazing. She, she's on her third career now. She trained as a nurse. Then she became a psychotherapist. She needed to, married to me. Um, and now she's a university lecturer. She's been a couple of years. And she's amazing. And one of the things that impressed me is the way that she views her work. And, uh, you know, she started taking uh, cakes into the office uh, to give to other people in the team. Nobody had ever kind of done that. And they all thought she was a little strange. But it's interesting how it's changed the, attitude, changed the atmosphere. And now o- other people are doing that. And their cakes are better than yours. And it's getting a little competitive. Do you know what I mean? But there's, there's, there's the whole sense of which the atmosphere of being, well, let's encourage one another. Let's speak well of one another. Let's see if we can bring out the best in one another. That can change. You're there where you are because God wants that salt and light there. So we need to be committed to not just doing a good job, but committed to having a good attitude. Thirdly, to being a good example, to model our, our values. I love it when I talk to people in the church who are in employment, and I love it when I can go into their businesses and their work environments. And I was chatting to a guy recently in the church who employs a lot of people and who recently had to make quite a lot redundant. And it was great just to talk to him about the angst that he had about that and about the difficulty and about wanting to be honouring to the people and doing it in the right kind of way. And I just thought, way to go. What a fantastic thing to do. You know, because you are thinking about how to do that as Christ would have you do it. Because you're clear on your purpose. And fourthly, we need to be committed to making the most of every opportunity. We're not just at work to do a good job and to pick up a paycheck. We're also there because there's a mission field to influence for Christ. You are there because I can't be there. Dan can't be there. Simon can't be there. But you can. God has chosen you and placed you there for that season, however long that is, in order for you to be his hands and his feet. You know, why was Israel chosen by God? Was it because they were better than everyone else? Because they were God's favorite? No. If you read the Old Testament prophecies, they were chosen by God to be a light to the Gentiles is the phrase. Then Jesus came along and it says of Jesus that he's a light to the world. And then Jesus says of the church, you now are the light of the world. You are like a city, you know, or the light on a hill. The whole thing about being chosen is not because you're better than, but you're chosen for purpose to be a light to the Gentiles, to be a light to the world. When you gave your life to Christ, when you gave your life to Christ, you didn't enlist Christ to your cause, you surrendered your life to his. You understand that? That's what happened. That's why being clear on purpose is so important. When you go to your workplace, you're going there as Christ's ambassador into that world to work really well, to work hard, to be a good attitude and to communicate well, but to be his salt and his light. Now, I want to say something exciting. How many of you would like to see the Holy Spirit work more through your life? How many of you like to see the spiritual gifts release more? You like to see healing. You like to see words of knowledge. You like to see all that kind of stuff happening. Here's an interesting thing. 70% of the time when Jesus saw the miraculous working through his life and ministry while he was on earth was in non-church environments. That's interesting, isn't it? 
It wasn't at the end of great worship. It wasn't when the keyboard was playing nice chords. It was actually the majority of the time it was out of a church environment. It was in the marketplace. It was in the streets. It was under a tree. It was, it was in a home. It was outside. Now, sometimes it was in the temple environment, but most of the time it was in a non-church environment. So here's the thing. Wouldn't it be amazing? The same spirit, Bible says, that raised Jesus from the dead lives within us. So why don't we see God at work? Perhaps there's something in this verse, and I was praying, and and this verse hit me, and I thought, I've never thought about this verse in the context of this conversation at all. But there's a verse in the book of Genesis where Jacob wakes up, and he's had this dream, and in the dream, he sees God, or sees angels, rather, ascending and descending on ladders between heaven and earth. And he says, wow, he wakes up, what an amazing thing. And this is what he says, surely the Lord was in this place, and I was not aware of it. And we often think about that verse in the context of when we gather together and when there's music. I don't think it is that. I think God is in your place of work, but you may not be aware of it. Isn't that an interesting thought? That God could be at work where you are. Because that's where you are. And God is already at work. And we enter into what he's doing. And we cooperate with him. Could it be that God wants to see the miraculous released through your lives in your workplace? Why not? It isn't always on the Sunday morning. You know, Sunday, if you come into a gathered church environment and you come on a Sunday morning and you do a midweek life group and you serve in one area, at the best it's going to be 10 hours a week. If you take off sleeping time, there's another 110 hours when you're going to be somewhere else. So for that 10 hours, okay, that's to encourage you and equip you and support you. But the majority of your time, the 110, you're out there where God wants you to be hands and feet. And we need to get a hold of this fact that God wants to release something out of our lives right where he's placed us. Now, you might be having a tough time at work right now. But I want you to know, God is in that place. You're just not aware of it. And my prayer for you before we finish this morning is that your eyes will be opened and your ears will be unplugged a bit. And you will be aware that God is at work in the place where you're at work. Because he's an amazing God. Now, the third thing. It should affect how we see ourselves. Purpose should affect how we see our work. And thirdly, purpose should affect how we see trouble and pain. (laughs) If you've got a Bible, look at Philippians chapter 1. And I'm going to read quite a big chunk out of this story here. We're just a few minutes away. and uh, Let me give you the background. Paul is not making tense now. He's doing the preaching, uh, traveling, apostle, church building thing. And he's an activist. He travels 3,000 miles, I think, in his, in his ministry, something ridiculous. Uh, and he just is a go-getter. He doesn't like stopping. He doesn't like waiting. He, but now, in Philippians, he's in prison. He's going nowhere. He's chained to a Roman soldier. He is static. He is stationary. He is frustrated. What's going on with his purpose? Listen to what he says in Philippians 1 verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. That sounds crazy, doesn't it? Think, oh, hang on a minute, back up. What has served, what has happened to me has actually meant that I'm in here and I can't be out there preaching. So how has this served to advance the gospel? Then he says, as a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. Every day he's chained to a Roman soldier. Every three hours, that soldier is replaced by another soldier. They're not going anywhere, they're chained to him. They just have to listen to him talk about Jesus for three hours. So 
Three hours gone. Next one. Three hours gone. It goes off to you. Think, oh, thank goodness for that. Three hours that fellow's been talking to me about Jesus. So he's saying that because of what's happened to him, all the Romans now in the palace are getting to hear about Jesus. They wouldn't have heard about Jesus if I hadn't been put in prison. That's interesting, isn't it? And then not only that, because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord, in other words, the other brothers and sisters who haven't, are not in prison, they've been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. So because of what's happened to me, those guys have stepped up their game and they're all preaching. Now, if I was out there, they probably wouldn't have done that. See, this is what's going on in the, life, in, in the mind of Paul. What's happening to him is terrible, and I'll talk about that in a minute, and really frustrating. But something, when you're clear on purpose, the whole world looks different. He says, you know what? Because of what's happened to me, I'm getting to preach to the Romans, which I wouldn't have done before. And the brothers out there who were in my shadow have now stepped up and they're going for it. So actually what's happened to me is increasing the spread of the gospel. And that's why I exist. Because it's in Christ that I know who I am and what I'm living for. And then he goes on to say, and it gets, I think, quite amusing. It's true, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love. Uh, The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition. But what does it matter? (laughs) The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, I'll continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit, he's not denying the pain of what he's going through. By the help given by the Spirit, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body. Listen to this. Whether by life or by death, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Isn't that amazing? Here's someone who is crystal clear on his purpose. His purpose is Christ. So if he's in prison, yes, he's frustrated. Yes, he's chained. He's going nowhere at one level. But because when you're clear on purpose, the questions of life change from being pastoral questions to purposeful questions. Let me explain to you what I mean. See, Paul's not, not just saying, well, well, God, why is this bad thing happened to me? And, and, and I thought you were my God and, you know, and I'm not going to follow you and I'm not going to love you anymore. And, uh, he's not doing that. He's saying, because I'm clear on my purpose, this thing that's happening is bad and I need help and I need strength. But do you know what, God? You're going to win. And you're going to work through this. And I'm already seeing it happen because these fellows are getting saved. These fellows are getting witnessed to. And my brothers and sisters out there who are in my shadow, they're stepping up and they're going for it. So your gospel is increasing anyway. Isn't that amazing? I think that's brilliant. And the questions change from being pastoral questions to purposeful questions. Let me explain to you. If you're in a situation right now and you're chained to something, it may be a a, a work situation. It may be a family situation. It may be a health Pastoral questions go like this. When am I going to get out of this? Purposeful questions go like this. God, what are you wanting to do in me through this situation? Pastoral questions uh, say, God, why has this happened to me? Purposeful questions say, Lord, what do you want to do through what has happened to me? And there's a whole difference. You see, Paul's view was that bad things happened in life to him, but with God's help, good things will then happen in him. And then great things will happen through him. 
And you see, I want to say to you, and I want to, be, I want to be pastoral here as well. If you're going through tough situations, you've got two choices. You're either going to get bitter, you're either going to ask God, why is that happening? Or you're going to say, well, God, it's in Christ. I know who I am and what I'm doing here. So God, what is it that you want to do in me and through me through this situation? And that's what happens to Paul. And I can't tell you, and the Bible can't guarantee that if you surrender your life to God, that you will have a trouble-free life. But I can guarantee this. If you surrender your life fully to God, and if you understand the purpose that God has for your life, you will not have necessarily a trouble-free life, but you will know genuine hope. You will know authentic peace, tangible strength, and the very help of God. The Bible says that God is an ever-present help in times of trouble. Isn't that right? Now, I also believe that God does deliver people and I believe that God does break through and God does set people free from prisons. I believe all that as well. But until he does, or if he doesn't, God is still at work in your chain situations. So it could be this morning as we come to take communion in a moment that you might say, but Lord, you know, how, I, I, you know if, if only this situation would change, I'd be able to serve you better. Anyone ever thought that? But God might say, do you know what? If you change the questions, change the questions. If you actually knew who you were and why you were here, you'd know that I can work through anything for my glory and for your good. Recently, I was speaking at a church in Dudley and um, in the evening, and a lady came up to me afterwards and wanted to chat to me about what I'd been speaking about. A lovely lady in a perhaps late 50s, something like that. And she started talking about the fact that that her um, her mother was just going into the early signs of dementia and just how difficult that was for her. And she just wanted someone to talk to who she didn't know, who you know might not see her again and all that stuff. And I didn't say much. I just listened and talked with her. And she, she began to talk about it. And she said, the problem is, she says, I've been a Christian for years. And, and, and I've got all these nasty feelings inside of me. And I'm just thinking, I don't want to do this. And, and I'm asking God. I'm saying, God, I could be so much more effective for you if I didn't have this situation in my life. And, da, da, da. and she didn't need me to say anything. She said, and then she just said, but I know that actually God is wanting to do something in me through this as well. And I was just able to say to her, I think you're absolutely right. And just pray for her for that. You see, when you're clear on your purpose, the question isn't a pastoral one primarily. It's a question of purpose, isn't it? So my friend Eleanor in Albania, who you know a lot about now, when her, friend, when her husband is murdered two, two years ago, you know, she's saying, okay, this has happened. This is awful. And there's a lot of pastoral needs in that. But what does God want to do for his glory through this death? Often people say to us about our situation with Simeon. With uh, a son who's in residential care now because of his special needs and disability. And we've often asked that each other and, and God, you know, we, you know, if it wasn't for this, we could do this or do this or do that. And, but you know, we have to stop ourselves and say, but God, this has happened. You know about it. You can still work in us. What do you want to do in us in order that you could do something great through us? And it may be that that would be helpful to some of you as well. If God would get a hold of your life afresh and say, I know it's happened and I know it's bad and I know it's not what you want, but I can work through it if you let me. In you and through you if you let me. We're going to finish by going back to Elvis. Seems like the right place to finish. And you know, Elvis, um, when I went to Graceland, uh, there was um, one of the, the rooms there, there's loads of rooms actually, where all of the records are all along, you know, all platinum discs and all, all and it's great and you just like look at it. You know, Elvis was nominated for 14 Grammys. Uh, he won three. All three of the Grammys that he won were for gospel albums, interestingly enough. And I want to read you just a verse from one of the albums. The album's called He Touched Me and this is um, a verse from the song. After the lightning and thunder... After the last bell was rung, 
I want to bow down before Jesus and hear him say, well done, my son. He is my reason for living. He is my king of kings. I long to be in his possession. He is my everything. Isn't that amazing? And that's the song on an album that won Elvis a Grammy. And yet in his own life, I'm not sure whether ever he really grasped that. Who knows? But I'm not sure whether some of us really grasp that either. That actually when we make Christ our reason for being, our purpose is in Christ, the whole world changes. Our perspective and our outlook changes. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. So how can you respond today? How can you open this gift of purpose? Let me give you three applications. Number one, if you this morning wouldn't categorize yourself as a follower of Jesus, you wouldn't say you're a Christian, you can be. You can give your life to Jesus and you can do it today. All you need to do is to kind of stop, if you like, in your tracks and say, listen, I've been going my own way. I've been doing my own thing, but I believe that God exists. I believe God sent Jesus. I want to know him. I want, I'm sorry for what I've done for turning my own way and I want to receive him. I want to walk with him in my life. You can do that today. We would love to help you with that. But you know, many of you have done that. But here's the second application and response. If you've done that, but you've not been baptised, I want to encourage you to get baptised. You might think, oh, where's that come from? Let me tell you where it's come from. You see, baptism is not only a command of scripture, it's really, really important for lots of reasons. Number one, it's a public witness that you're going live with your faith. You're not perfect, you've not got it all together, but you're declaring that you are wanting to live for Christ. You're saying, do you know what? It's in Christ now that I live, and that's who I'm living for, and I'm going to go public. But secondly, it's really important for you, because in the future, when you hit tough times, you need to know that there was a day when you publicly declared that you were going to follow Christ. You see, I often think about Jesus, and I said earlier on, when he was baptised, and he came up out the water, this was before any of the miracles, any of the preaching and teaching. And he heard the father say, this is my son. He hasn't done a thing. He hasn't done any miracles, no teaching. This is my son. I love him and I'm pleased with him. Then he began to minister. I wonder whether Jesus needed in his mind, on the tough days, and he had lots of them, to go back to that occasion when he was baptised, to hear again the father say, I love this boy. He's amazing. He hasn't done anything yet. Do you know what I mean? That's going to get written down. But he's incredible. I love him. He's my son. I think Jesus needed that and so do you. Now, I know that some of you in this church, you've become Christians and you want to get baptised, but you struggle with it. You struggle with the thought of getting up in front of people and speaking. You struggle with that little niggling thought that me and Simon will hold you under for 20 minutes. I promise you, it will not be a minute more than 15 for none of you, okay? You struggle with all kinds of things. We understand that. We want to help you with that. But can I say... All of those things are small compared to that, the gesture of being obedient to God and by saying, I'm going to do it and I'm going to declare it out in front of people, in front of heaven and for myself. It's really important. You may have been brought up in a tradition where some, you didn't have baptism, adult immersion baptism. That's my story as well. I was brought up in a different tradition and I, wasn't, I became a Christian at 15 properly, um, but I didn't get baptized in my early 20s. Because I was in a denomination of church where we didn't do adult baptism. But when I was in one and I understood that everyone in the New Testament that was baptised were adults. who understood Not just adults, that's wrong. There were people who understood it and made a decision for themselves. I thought, I'm going to have to do that. And I want to do that. And it was one of the greatest days of my life. And I still look back now, however long ago that was, and thinking, I'm really glad that I did that. 
So we've got a baptism coming up in December. And in the welcome area, there's a sign-up sheet. You can put your name and contact details down. Simon will come and talk to you and help you through the whole process. There's an evening on Thursday, the 15th of November, from 6 till 7, where we'll just chat with you and open the whole thing up. I want to say to you, it's really, really important. And you might think, oh, well, I should have got baptised ages ago, but I didn't. Well, if you leave it another year, it's going to be even worse, isn't it? So you might as well say, well, I have left it for a long time, but I'm going to do it. And I don't think God cares two hoots about how long you left it. What he takes you at is your yes. When you say yes to him, he's all over it. And the Bible says, believe and be baptised. It's really, really important. Have I laboured that enough? Good. The third application is that, yes, you're a believer. Yes, you're baptised or you want to get baptised. And then I want to say to you this morning, enjoy the gift of purpose that God has given you. Open it up. Take it out. Revel in it. But don't just revel in it. Say, God, I'm going to live in this and I'm going to live this out. And I'm going to ask the band to come back and we're going to take communion. And uh, we're going to sing a song that's uh, written quite a few years ago now, I guess, by a band called Delirious. Some of you will have heard about it. it. It's just such an incredible song, which just, I think, puts into words just that sense of, thank you, Lord, for saving me. Thank you for what you've done in my life. And, and thank you for the fact that you've given me this gift of purpose. But now I know who it is that I am living in. I know my identity. I know why I'm here on this planet. It's in Christ that we get to find out who we are and what we're living for. So I'm going to ask the servers to come, if they would, please. And um, what they're going to do is they're going to come and serve you the bread and and, and the juice. And what I want you to do, and please listen up here because you'll need to hear this because this is a little different. I want you to hold on to the piece of bread and don't eat it. Just hold on to it. Take a cup. Don't drink it. Just hold on to it. We're going to eat and drink together today. Is that all right? And while we do that, I'm going to pray. So guys, if you could go straight out and get going with that, that would be amazing. So I'm going to pray. They're going to serve you. Hold the bread. Hold the juice. The band are going to just sing over you for a bit. And then I'll come back. We'll eat and drink together. And then we'll worship God. So why don't we pray? Father, we want to thank you this morning for your amazing gift of Jesus. The gift of purpose, Lord, in our lives. Lord, it's not even purpose. It's a person. God, our purpose isn't our mission statement. It isn't our our goal. It isn't our corporate objective. It isn't any of that. It's a person. Our purpose is Christ. That's who is our identity. That's who we're living for. And God, I want to pray specifically this morning. If there are people here who are struggling, people here who are in prisons, who are chained to uncomfortable, frustrating situations, whether they be at work or family or finance or health or anything. God, I pray that in the midst of that, they would know your presence. They'd know your strength. They'd know your purpose, Lord Jesus. God, I pray that they'd know breakthrough as well. That would be amazing. But Lord, until that time, God, I pray that they would know that you never leave them nor forsake them. God, I pray specifically, and I just sense to pray this, that there are people here and you're in workplaces and you feel the total absence of God in your work right now. Just sensing to go with this, okay? So just bear with me. You feel God when you worship like this. You feel God sometimes. But when you're at work, you feel a total absence of God's presence. I want to pray for you. And if that's you, just slip your hand up for a moment, would you? If there's anyone here and you feel right now an absence of God's presence in your workplace, great. I want to just pray for you. I think there are others as well. 
Father, I want to pray that every single person, Lord Jesus, that every single one of us will know that you are at work where we work. God, I pray that just like that verse of Jacob, surely the Lord was in this place and we were not aware of it. God, I pray that we would be aware of it. I pray, Lord, even this week that we would see evidence that you're at work. Evidence that you're at work. Lord, I pray that you do that. And God, I pray that we would be men and women who are faithful to serve you where you've placed us in Jesus' name. And Father, as we begin to prepare now for communion, God, I pray that you would help us to understand again what our purpose is and we would rejoice in that.